Let's pray. Father, we do ask, please, that uh, you would bless this time. We uh, thank you so much that you have promised to be with us and we thank you that uh, uh, throughout our morning so far we have enjoyed the blessing of fellowship in song, in word, uh, in leadership, in Bible. We thank you for all of that blessing. We pray now this particular time too would be a great blessing. Give me words, help us reflect in ways that honour and please you uh, and please uh, transform and change as we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, fundamental to the Christian faith, as Jesus taught it, fundamental to the Christian faith is that Christianity is a religion of the spirit. It is a spirit experience. It is something that brings you deeply in touch with spirit. Now, just a quick run through the reading that Jackie brought us earlier. Uh, makes that very evident, the number of times Jesus talks about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the, the advocate. Um, now that teaching, that thinking uh, that Christianity is about the Spirit, or is about a Spirit experience, that kind of teaching can be hugely confronting, especially for modern Westerners. Uh, most people kind of raised in the last bunch of decades through our education system, I mean, some of you might have even gone through university and it's worse there, if I might put it that way. Um, modern Westerners are raised on a belief and educated into a belief that talk of the spirit or spirits is part of a primitive world. It's part of the world we left behind. You know, it's, uh, it's part of believing in fairies and unicorns, though as far as I can see, young kids in our household all believe in unicorns. But uh, that's part of that world. And uh, we've grown up, we've matured as a society and we're enlightened, and so it's hard to talk about the very thing Jesus teaches so much about, the Spirit. But we must talk about it because it's core to Christian thinking, core to biblical thought. God is Spirit. If we're to hold to the reality of a Creator who is outside of our world, then fundamental to who He is is that He hasn't got a body. <laughs> He's not matter. He's not material. He, he is... Uh, he is pure word, if you like. He is spirit. And he created matter outside of himself, apart from himself. If you halt of there being a God creator, we are immediately alert to the fact of a non-material dimension to life, a spirit dimension. But what does it look like to have a spirit experience? What does it look like to be in touch with this spirit of God? How does it feel? What kind of evidences would you expect to see if a person was in touch with the Spirit? Uh, if a church was a spirit church, what would you expect a spirit church to look like and feel like? Now, this chapter, John 14, but actually this section, John 14, 15, 16, these couple of chapters in the Bible are probably... They are the key place to dig if you want to understand the work of the Spirit because right here we have a very concentrated teaching from the Lord Jesus Himself in His earthly incarnation about the Holy Spirit of God. As you go through the Bible, there are snippets of mention of the Spirit and there are a few places that give a little bit more information about the Holy Spirit. This is the place where you get most of the teaching in the Bible. 
Um, so it really is the place to go to if we're going to wrestle with what, it, you know, are we in touch with the Spirit? What does it mean to be a Spirit person? What does a church look like as a Spirit person? This is the place to dig. It's, a, it's, the, it's the context is the last night of Jesus' earthly life, or his, uh, pre-incarnate, or his prior to the cross, the crucifixion. Um, that's the context. He's about to be crucified and he's with his disciples in what's called the upper room um, and he's teaching them. Uh, giving them a great deal of extended teaching and uh, you might ask why is he then talking about the Holy Spirit at that very context when it's his last night, uh, we'll hopefully see why that's the case but if we're going to understand the Spirit in the Christian life this is the place to start and it's important we do, it's important we understand the work of the Spirit in the Christian life because we are caught between almost equal and opposite influences around us. Um, there's one dimension as I mentioned that talks about any you know, reference to the spirit, to spirit life, spirituality, that talks about it as crazy. Do you know, that's primitive thinking. But there's another dimension that's endlessly talking about the spirit. One reduces it to mere rationality and respectability. And if there is a Christianity, this kind of dimension talks about Christianity as merely being, um, be moral, be respectable, uh, do your duty uh, and don't get caught up in all that spirit stuff. That's one dimension. There's a massive influence amongst us. Respectable Christianity. But there is another dimension that is all about the Spirit, where the Spirit is irrational and there's experiences that are all measured by how irrational they are. Um, there's kind of a, a focus on the spectacular works of signs and wonders and miracles and things you can't understand. It's beyond rationality, where there's about a pursuit of a mystical union with God. What it means for the Spirit is to have a mystical thing, where it's, it's mysterious and spooky. Uh, and in the so-called worship experience, you pursue this kind of experience of the Spirit. So you've got these two dimensions, one that rejects the idea of the Spirit, one that talks about the Spirit, but talks about it in a very certain particular way, that has a lot actually associated with the new agey kind of movement in it as well. What do we do with that? Our trouble is we're caught between all of that. Do we not talk about it? Uh, the, the topic of the Spirit? Do we talk about it more? Do we think the answer is kind of some kind of moderation between don't talk too much about the Spirit but don't not talk about the Spirit, just make sure you talk a little bit about the Spirit, that's the answer? No, 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 the answer is not some moderation like that's some middle ground. And so these chapters of the Bible are, are very important for us, very powerful and they help us weave a path between all of that and come to, I think, a far better and more healthy position. So that's what we're going to be tackling together, uh, the, the language of the Spirit, what it means and what that experience looks like. So let's start firstly with, I've really only got two big headings but the second heading has lots to it. First, the first topic really is just to lay the foundations and make sure we're clear on this, that the Christian life is an experience of the Spirit. That the Christian life is an experience of the Spirit. There's the first thing I just want to lay down for us, make sure it's very clear. Last night of Jesus' uh, life before the crucifixion, uh, he, he verse, uh, through these chapters, he has now alerted his disciples to the fact that he's about to die. They're, they're conscious now that he's leaving. Uh, and that cause, causes great angst. You just need to appreciate the angst actually that comes with this. They've left everything. They've sold their houses in Wombrel, Terrigal, Greenport. They've sold their houses and they've upped all the kids and they've gone on a trip to follow this great leader who's going to do this wonderful thing uh, and change the world and they've followed this leader and he says, I'm out of here now. And the disciples are going, what do we do? 
<laughs> we've left everything to follow you. And so there's incredible angst going on. So much of this chapter, these chapters is about comforting. Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because they are troubled about this talk of him leaving. You get in chapter 14, uh, verse 27, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So his, his teaching about the Spirit is in this context of seeking to bring comfort. Um, and, and effectively, something of what he says here is that I'm going, but I'm not going. I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. I'm going to come back to you. And how am I coming back to you? How am I not going? I'm coming to you by the person of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, just a quick, sorry, just a quick little thing. The word advocate there is a complex one, different translations. Trans, it's, sorry, the word's not complex, but trying to put one English word to it is very tricky. Uh, it's, the, it's the Greek word paraclete, and various translations use different words to try and translate that. Some put helper, some put uh, counsellor. Uh, here we've got advocate, and advocate probably is a better translation because the problem with the word helper uh, and counsellor is they sound like psychological help. You know, a psychologist who comes alongside you and counsels you, you see. That's not what the word means. The word is more a legal term of being an advocate in a law court for you. Uh, and so it's actually helpful just to see that. But uh, we'll come back to that at some point in the future. But I'll send you another advocate, like Jesus is an advocate for us before the Father, do you see? Another advocate, another the, the, the paraclete, to help you and be with you forever the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. But look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, what you, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come to you. You won't be alone. You won't be orphans. Here's the comfort. Um, appreciate the emotion, the room, and how much this is necessary for them. Now, some of this section about the work of the Holy Spirit is particularly addressed to the disciples and not to all Christians. I take it this idea of not leaving you but coming to you, uh, the Holy Spirit being sent to you, the Advocate, is for all Christians but not all that's said in this section is about all Christians and it's worth being alert to that, just a quick teaching on Bible reading. If you come across um, there to, uh, let me uh, see if I can find it, verse 26... The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, verse 26 is particularly to the disciples in the upper room, not to all Christians. That's sometimes a shock for people because we tend to read the Bible flat. We tend to read the Bible, every time it says you, it's referencing me, a Christian living in the 21st century. So every promise there must be directly to me. Now, the Bible is for us, living in the 21st century, it's God's Word to us, but sometimes God's Word to us to, is to tell us about what He promised to other people. Now, you know that verse 26 is not to all people because I'll remind you of everything I have said to you is a reference to the disciples, the apostles actually, being reminded of all the things Jesus said and did in His earthly life. We weren't there. And what's interesting is you go through John's Gospel, you'll see John chapter 3 and so on and so forth. You'll see the Apostles, John, as he reports what happened. We, um, after these things happened, we remembered what he said. And that's mentioned a couple of times in the Gospel. And so that is that verse 26, being uh, uh, teaching all things and being reminded of everything 
is a particular reference to the apostles and it's important that they got that message because what Jesus is doing is commissioning through them a new infallible word by which God will rule his church, the New Testament, through the apostles' words. In the Old Testament, Jesus demonstrated repeatedly that he relied on the word of the Old Testament as God's infallible authoritative word. Every argument that came to him, he went to the scriptures and said, thus says the Lord. But what he does here in, uh, in the upper room on the night before he dies, he says the Holy Spirit's going to come to you particularly, you sitting here, to establish you, commission you to be the capital P prophets of the New Testament church. The ones who will lay the infallible, authoritative word of God that will be the foundation of the church. So they have a unique gifting of the Holy Spirit, verse 26. But much of the other statements uh, are about other. So have a look there at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will love my, my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. See the whoever. This is not just the people in the upper room. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my father will love, we will come to them and make a home with them. There's a promise for anyone. You see how? So what he does in this chapter, Jesus in the upper room, he swings between anyone and every, all Christians and you particularly apostles. And just being alert to that's important as you read the Bible. Um, but with this warning, uh, as I say, much of this is directed and teaching about all Christians and what's being taught here is that the Holy Spirit will be given to all Christians. God, Jesus promises to ask the Father who will send the paraclete, the advocate, the counsellor, the helper, the Holy Spirit to all Christians and this is confirmed in many other places in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, upon believing says Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 isn't it uh, he says upon believing you will be you will be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit um, uh, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of Jesus when you believed you were marked in him with the seal the promised Holy Spirit when you believed you received the Holy Spirit the Spirit being talked about in John 14. You get in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the mention of the second baptism in the Spirit, uh, or what we would rather say, the baptism in the Spirit. And what um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the baptism in the Spirit is a, is a thing that all Christians experience because it unites us together as one. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit to be one people of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about us receiving the Spirit to be the temple of the Holy Spirit each person. Uh, this is a radical conviction to, to be alert to. You cannot reduce the Christian life to mere rationality, as if, as if it's just do the right thing, go to church, be a decent dad, that's Christian. No, 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 no. At the heart of being a Christian is a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you. But, or and, this spirit experience is an experience of Jesus. Here we start to push back against some of the modern spirit movements in churches today. The first little, the Christian life is a spirit experience, pushes back against that kind of um, 20th century, 21st century modern thinking that spirit language is primitive. No, it's not. 
It's at the very heart of what it is to know God, spirit experience. You are spirit Christians. But now we push against uh, some of that modern spirit movement in church. Some of the modern spirit talk creates this dividing line between Jesus and the spirit. So there was talk for many decades, some of you will have experienced this. I mean, I, I, I was converted into church, sort of late 70s and so on, and this was all the talk, that there were spirit Christians and then there were Christians. There were spirit churches and then there were churches. And there was this division between you could be a Jesus person but not a spirit person and working out the whole talk was how do you become a Jesus person who is a spirit person as well. But if you look carefully, and this is astonishing, let's, let's uh, run through this again, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So the Spirit of truth is going to be sent. But look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now the question for us is that those two different experiences... I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another advocate, like me, the Spirit, and you'll receive the Spirit. And then He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Are they two different experiences? It certainly kind of sounds like it is. Um, You you know, it it sounds like what we have here is, is, is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as three, three blokes. And you can get one of them and the other one and be good to have all three, but maybe you've only got one, two of them, you need the third one, and one comes and and it sounds like like they're separate beings. That's kind of how it talks. But, uh, come with me and look at verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love them, we will come to them and make our home with them. We will, is that another experience again? No, it's the mystery of God as Trinity, the being of God is one, the one God who is three persons and this is where your mind starts to get blown but the New Testament, the Bible keeps talking of the one God in three persons such that each person is God, all of God and yet can be distinguished from each other as Father, Son and Spirit, but are the one God. Which therefore means an experience of one member of the Trinity is not like some separate bloke who comes and he needs to pull the other, but an experience of one member of the Trinity is an experience of the whole Trinity, of the whole God. And it's an astonishing truth that needs to be reflected on... Come with me to Romans 8 and I'll show you this very explicitly. Come with me to Romans 8. Some alert Bible readings needed here. Look at verse 9. Romans 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God... See, this is again just reinforcing, if you're converted, born-again believer you will be a Spirit of God believer. You'll have the Spirit of God. But look what he says. 
If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, well, I thought it was the Spirit of God. He now calls the Spirit of God the Spirit of Christ. If they don't have the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Well, well, hang on, Christ in you. Do you see how he flips? The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, is the same as saying, Christ in you. Because to have the Spirit of God is to have Christ, because Trinity is the one God and when the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Christ, comes to you, that's Christ coming to you, the Lord Jesus, Father and Son. It's, it's an expression of the unity of God Himself. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying there? Do you follow that through as you go through those verses? Paul the Apostle, just, he, he, he just thinks of God as one and the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ, is Christ. And so when Jesus says, uh, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you, what he's saying is, I will come to you by my Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who is the Spirit of God. Because as I send another helper, it's not some third bloke who's different, it's, a th- it's the third person of the Trinity who is the one God who brings the person of Jesus as he comes because he is the one God who joins us. And so that's the same verse 23, my Father will love me, we will come to them and make our home with them, Father, Son and Spirit, the whole God by the work of the Spirit of God. Let's put to death this separation between the Spirit of Jesus and Jesus. To have Jesus as your Lord is to have the Spirit. To be a church that has Jesus as Lord is to be a spirit church. You you don't need to talk endlessly about the spirit to prove that you are a spirit church because to have the spirit is to be a person of Jesus. To have Jesus and the Father is to be, you see, it's all one. But there's the first point for us. All believers are in the Spirit, have the Spirit, genuine born again. You are a Spirit experienced person uh, who is the Spirit of Christ, which is Christ in you. Uh, There's no separation division. So our question then becomes, well, what does it look like to have this Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Come back to John 14 and let me run you through this. And I'm going to give you four points, but let me give you the text first and give you four points. The text there, let's look at verse, let's look at the repetition that runs through this chapter. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Do you see repetition there at all? The connection between the love of Jesus and the commands and obedience to the commands of Jesus. He says it again and again and again. In John 15, he'll say it again and then he'll say it again. When, Bible reading again, when you see repetition, it's there in verse 31 too actually that Jesus models for us what, what He means. You must learn that I love the Father 
and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Because love of the Father, love of Jesus, means obedience to the commands and word of Jesus. And that just like Jesus did to the Father, you see. Um, repetition's massively important. Jesus really means to drive this point home. And the point home is this. If you love Jesus, you'll be a spirit Christian. You'll have the spirit. Jesus will make his home with you by his spirit. And therefore... You will obey his commandments. You will do what he teaches. You'll obey him. Now, there's so much here, I'm going to break it into four things just to kind of tease it out for us, um, but not so much more actually than I've said, but just to, just to kind of bed it down. The four things are this, um, the spirit life, the Holy Spirit life, the life of the Holy Spirit is bound up with knowing the truth, obeying the truth of Jesus, as an expression of love, like Jesus loves his Father. Let me take you through those. Knowing the truth. Do you see there that verse 17, this Holy Spirit, the Advocate, is called the Spirit of Truth. He is the one who will be sent by the Father and Son, verse 26, to teach the Apostles all things and remind them of all that he had said to lay the foundations of truth. Now, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That doesn't sound very spiritual. It kind of it doesn't fit with the whole spiritual thing that goes on in our culture. If people talk of the Spirit and spirituality, they almost always mean the exact opposite of Spirit of truth. They kind of mean living a life that's not bound by words that's out of, you know, that's gone beyond words, that's irrational, that certainly not, certainly doesn't believe in there being a true and a false because that's divisive, you don't want that in modern spirituality. But the work of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, is to bring the truth so that people would know the truth and live the truth. And this, when you see the whole sweep of the Bible, is the most wonderful, powerful blessing of God in the spiritual realm. I want to just dig here for a second. Where does the battle for your soul happen? Most of us are convinced there's a spiritual realm with spiritual forces of, of God and evil. Where do the spiritual forces of evil do their work on your life? Where's the battle for your soul? Where does it occur? If there is a satanic power, which Jesus teaches is exactly true, what is Satan's greatest power over you? Where does he do his most evil work in your life? What's his greatest weapon? That he might possess you? That, that, that he might cause depression, mental illness. You know, is, 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 is the danger really the danger of the seance, watching horror movies that you might get possessed? Is that where the danger lies? No. The greatest power Satan has, and this is going to really disappoint you, the greatest power Satan has, because you're going to feel let down when I'm about to say, right, I just want to, just, I want to position you for this, this the greatest power, Satan, his greatest weapon against you is 
laws. Laws. You come back to chapter 8. Already I can feel your disappointment. (laughs) Come back to chapter 8. Look at verse 42. Jesus said, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. See, he's obedience to the Father. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your Father, the devil. Does this mean they do seances? Take little cute kittens out at midnight and slaughter them? Wear black? Their father is Satan. What does that look like? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's who he is, a liar and the father of lies. That's the very essence of the work of Satan. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So how do you know that they're under the sway of Satan? Because they won't believe the truth when they're hearing the truth from the very Lord Jesus himself, because they're under the sway of the one who is the father of lies. Satan's greatest weapon against us is deceit. Why are lies such a weapon? Because our relationship with the unseen God, the God who is spirit, depends entirely on his spoken word to us. It depends on him speaking to us. Because we can't can't hold him, see him, touch him, except for a short moment when he was incarnate. Well, while he still is on earth. So our contact with this God is by his words. And so if those words are not true words, if, if Satan can convince us that they're not really true and he brings the lie to us, then our relationship with God is gone. It's like all human relationships too, actually. They depend on the truth of knowing each other, truly. Satan is the father of lies. If we get things wrong about, Satan, about God, we are lost. You see, is he the creator of all things or not? True or false? If you get that wrong, everything's gone. Um, Does he own our lives as the creator over us? True or false? If we get that wrong, everything's gone. Are we sinners with no hope except for the cross of Christ? Is that true? Satan says it's not. And he whispers to us the lie and says, no, no, you're actually basically good. You'll be okay. Just be decent. And the lies send us to hell. That's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan came and the temptation, his power, which destroyed the world, his temptation was established in, did God really say? He didn't really say that. He whispered lies. And he only said it because he was about his own interests, not yours. He doesn't love you. Don't trust him. Lies. His greatest weapon is deceit, is lies. And the greatest gift, therefore, of God is the truth. Because John 8, the truth will set you free. 
And if the Son set you free by the Holy Spirit truth, the Spirit of truth, who is the Spirit of Christ, if He brings truth into your life, if the Son sets you free by the truth, the truth, you'll be free indeed to know what's true. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, is a spiritual thing to bring truth to us. You know, the greatest gift of God is truth, that you'll be set free by that truth. Therefore, the evidence that a church is a spirit church is what? That it teaches the truth. How do we know it teaches the truth? Well, the truth is found in the words of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, given to the apostles and his prophets in the Bible. And so it will be a church that teaches the Bible faithfully and truthfully. That's the Spirit at work, though He doesn't make Himself evident, He doesn't kind of placard Himself, but that's the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He helps people come to know the truth. The evidence of the work of the Spirit in your own life is that you will know the truth, see the truth and obey the truth. So, the Spirit of truth, such that we might obey the truth. Truth is not given just to be an object of interest to us, but the truth of Jesus is taught by the Holy Spirit that we might realise He is Lord, we are not that we might bow the knee to Him as our Lord, that we might bow the knee to Him actually, Jesus, the man who walked in Palestine, Israel, however you want to, the man who walked in the streets, that He is God, that we bow the knee to Him, the truth. And much here again is about the centrality of Jesus as the one we obey, it's Him as our Lord, the Spirit work is centred on Him and a Spirit church that is a church of the Spirit will be focused on Jesus, His Word, His Word of teaching and truth that we might obey Him. Do you know, one of the most helpful things that um, was given to me back in the 80s, dear 80s feels like, who wasn't born in the 80s? Yeah, yeah, only Jackie? Come on. Um, yeah, a bunch of people. Um, one of the most helpful pieces uh, back in there was a massive conflict over the work of the Spirit and how do you know if you're a Spirit church and a Spirit Christian and so on. Um, all of that was in the air. Uh, one of the couple of the most helpful verses, look at chapter 15, we'll come to this in future weeks, chapter 15, verse 26, fifteen twenty-six of John's Gospel. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, you see, keeps underlining these points. He will testify about me. He'll testify about me, not himself. Evidence that you're under the sway of the Spirit, experiencing the Spirit, you'll be drawn to Jesus. You'll find him talked about. You'll want to talk about him endlessly. The other piece is there in chapter 16, verse 14, 16, 14, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me because it's from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit comes to not glorify Himself, to not talk about Himself, to not point us to Himself. He has been called the self-effacing member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's role is to be in the background, I mean, I'm using crass language, but to to not placard himself, but to be in the background, to point us to Jesus, because he comes to be the the Holy Spirit of truth, 
who, who testifies about Jesus, whose role is to glorify the Son, as the Father delights to have glorified. A church, therefore, that talks obsessively about the Spirit is a church least in touch with the true Spirit of God. A church that talks obsessively about the Spirit is a church that's likely not walking with the Spirit. Because if they're walking with the Spirit, they talk obsessively about Jesus, as the Spirit wants to testify and glorify. Spirit of truth, that we might obey the truth, He is the Holy Spirit. He, he wants us to become holy. He is the Holy Spirit. He is given, the Spirit is given to free us from sin, the power of Satan, that we might live holy lives and holy lives are lives that believe the truth and obey the truth. That's why He came. The whole story of the Bible is a movement from rebellion against the truth and against the rule of God in our lives to a joy and gladful obedience by the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, to now be shaped and moulded to be from the heart, wanting to obey the Lord Jesus. Third, so I think of these first two points, we're moving more quickly now, the first two points... Um, the, uh, the, the, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth who testifies to Jesus, um, that we might obey Jesus and His Word. And third, this is love. This is love. If you love me, He says, you will obey me. Quick little rant here. We're immersed in a culture that's all about love, that talks about love a lot. We have that little slogan now that love is love. Love is love. It's a great saying, it's a powerful saying, but it's an absurd saying. <laughs> but it is a clever saying because it effectively teaches the thought that whatever a person or a couple thinks is love, that is love to them and stop judging. Yeah. Any kind of experience of feelings of love should be accepted as love and we all ought to just accept it. True? Is that true that love is love? No. No one actually really believes it, they just use the slogan. Love is not love. We, we know that there are boundaries to loving relationships. So the pedophile, with a consenting minor, we know is not love. It's abuse. Even though they may, the minor might consent and feel love, uh, we go, you can't, you don't even know how to give consent. And you're abusing their inability. It, it's not, you might call it love, but it's not love. We, we, as a society, we still believe that there are boundaries to what love actually is, even though you might call it love. Now, once you accept that, once you accept that there are boundaries to love and not all love, that what people want to say is love, is love, once we realise that love is not love, our question then is, have we drawn the boundaries right? We already agree that not all love is love. Well, how do we know that your experience of love is actually love? Well, Jesus defines love with stark clarity. So we're in no doubt what love is. You say you love Jesus? Forgive the tone, right? But I just, you, you, it does feel like this is Jesus in the upper room. You say you love me? I'll tell you how you know if you love me. Obey me. Do what I say. Because the truth is, I am Lord. 
I'm the Lord of the universe. I rule all things. You say you love Jesus. It's not about how deep your feelings are. It's not about ecstatic experiences. It's not how you feel loving. He says it's about what you do with his words as the Lord of the universe. He says it repeatedly. This is how you know what love is. This is, if you love me, obey my, do what I say. Because this verse 31 is how he is with his father. Here is the work of the spirit of the truth. The truth is that love is not whatever I say it is. It's what Jesus says it is because he's the truth. Love, to truly love Jesus is to bow the knee to his teaching. Just as he did with his father, which was the fourth point. Now, do you see the implications of all of this? And I need to rush. We cannot claim to love Jesus and pick and choose which bits we'll obey. You cannot claim to love Jesus and sit over his words and only choose those parts that fit your lifestyle. The love of Jesus cannot be reduced to mere emotionalism on Sundays. Though we want you to be moved. Because it's deeply moving to know this God. But it can't be reduced to that. And it's a devastating testimony of church, so-called worship leaders. It's a devastating testimony to find out that worship leaders who are leading deeply emotional experiences in churches were sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend week by week. Or committing fraud whilst talking about the love of Jesus. Now, none of us are perfect And I take it what Jesus is saying effectively here is if you love me, you will by the Holy Spirit seek to obey my commandments. I don't think there's an expectation of perfection here at all. One John actually unpicks this for us. Um, The love of God is not living your own adventure, modern spirituality, the outside of the church, modern spirituality, which is filtered in, uh, says you ought not be constrained by, you know, to be a spiritual person is to live however you feel led. Jesus says, no. That's not the truth. It's a lie of Satan. The truth is, if you are in touch with the true Spirit of God and you love the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit, you will pursue holiness in obeying His commandments. So the task of the Spirit Christian is to learn the truth, know the truth and obey the truth. More and more by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some correction, there's a lot of teaching, but let me give you some, I hope, inspiration as we finish, just with another minute or so. Brothers and sisters, if you're born-again believers, you are not alone. The Lord Jesus has not left you as an orphan. If you love the Lord Jesus and seek to obey Him, it's evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life. Christ is in you. The Father and Son have taken up their home in your life. You have an experience of God himself. Do you know, I was watching TV. We had grandkids around. I was watching TV. Hey, grandkids are too young. But anyway, I was, I had grandkids around. And, and I wanted to show them some water shows because we like water shows. And I was watching that show, My Octopus Teacher. Has anyone seen it? I to recommend it. Go and watch it. It's, it's a beautiful show. Um, South Africa, it's, it's great. Um, but this man was, for a 12 months every day, swimming with one octopus and learning its life together. And they became friends. And I, I think it's, I, it's a weird thing, but anyway. But he said this at some point. He said, to be in touch... Oh, look, I, I even wrote it down. 
because I, I knew you wouldn't believe me. Um, to have a relationship with this creature is mind-blowing. When you have that connection with an animal, it's absolutely mind-blowing. There is no greater feeling on earth, he said. The boundaries dissolve. It's just pure, the pure magnificence of her. It's the greatest feeling on earth. Now, I don't doubt it was special to have a relationship with an alien other called an octopus. <laughs> yeah, good, okay. But brothers and sisters, you are in touch with the holy, living God of the universe, not an octopus. <laughs> the greatest feeling on earth is to have relationship with God through the Holy Spirit of God such that the Father and Son have taken up residence in your life. Wow! Know the truth, obey the truth, love the Lord Jesus and know that you're not orphans. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful, extraordinary blessing that we're so often not alert to. That we have you, God, dwelling with us by your Holy Spirit empowering us, not having left us as orphans, but enabling and empowering us to love the Lord Jesus and so obey the Lord Jesus. We pray that that might mark our lives increasingly day by day. Amen.